Magdalene thinks he's um, a gardener. The disciples think he's a ghost. The guys on the road to Emmaus don't recognize him. It, it, Paul doesn't recognize him on the road to Damascus. Resurrection, and when you encounter the resurrected Christ, you are encountering a stranger. Easter, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. Welcome back to another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I am here with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. Next week. (laughs) (laughs) You're a jerk. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, we were just talking about, because we record these, of course, way ahead of time and sometimes out of order. And I told them beforehand, I said, because we're doing these out of order, just don't say next week or last week. And so Michael, of course, jumps in and says next week. (laughs) <laughs> you troublemaker. Your teachers had to have had trouble with you in school. I get picked out of seminary. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I'm not back in though, but yeah. But, oh, that's good. So today, well, this this is when this airs. This is will actually be uh, the Wednesday before Easter. And so we thought it would be cool to talk about Easter and the Easter message. And I want to start with a confession um, that for me, you know how some people, they, you know, they hate Christmas. Christmas is like a bad time of year for them and, and they don't really get into Christmas and, you know, they just... Some people I've seen even on Facebook will rant against it or, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, I didn't get that extreme. But for me, um, until recent years, Easter was not my favorite time of year. And for me, it's because it had such residue from my religious upbringing. It was a Sunday morning service that I had to go to. And it was basically a show. And I'm talking as a kid. I'm not talking even feeling that way like years later and, you know, like leaving the institutional system or anything like that. I'm talking even as a kid, I felt that way, that that we had to put on our Sunday best. The family would would dress all up, you know, and take a lot of pictures. Um, weeks were spent ahead of time preparing for the service, the special music and all that. And basically, it was a big marketing service. It was about trying to, because you had the Christian who only came on on Christmas and Easter. And so Easter Sunday was the day to try to get new members. And so it was like a big marketing service. And uh, and so it always just, it just had, the whole day just had like this kind of fake, stiff feel about it. And then, and then even when I got to the church in Eureka, um, Jim, that you were part of in, in pastoring um, one of the fellowships in that, it was several churches in one congregation. Um, they weren't as bad about that. But even then, the thing I loved about that congregation was there was a, um, a prophetic edge to that church that in the sense of that it was kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Um, you know, give, feed us from the sustenance from above. You know, what is it we need today? And there was a real sense of, uh, and there was life there because it was like, Father, what are you speaking to us today? What are you doing today? And that was the thing that, one of the things that really drew me in to that congregation. But then when Easter would come, once again, it was like, 
we want to get new members. So, okay, stop all that. We're going to take a commercial break. And next Sunday, we're going to do the whole Easter service thing. And then we're going to go back on to, you know, what God is saying and what God is doing. And and I always found that odd because I was like, but that's the life that drew me in, not not an Easter service or something like that. So anyway, so that's just kind of my, my background with Easter. And it wasn't until Michael reading the Jesus Driven Life, learning um, about the Eucharist, the meaning of the Eucharist, um, the, the gospel becoming actually becoming good news for me, that um, that Easter began to take on a whole new meaning for me. And, uh, and now I, I can honestly say I actually like Easter now because now it has... Um, it, it, it's taken on a, a beautiful meaning for me. Um, it's it's not like this thing where I'm trying to find beauty in, in a message that frankly, and we'll talk about this next week, that frankly was um, not a very good, good news myth. Right, I said next week. <laughs> naughty boy, naughty, naughty. Uh, I'll go stand in the corner, put on my dunce hat. But anyway, um, so we'll, but we'll be talking about um, how you know that the message that that many Christians grow up with or have received it has not been good news, and that was kind of the case for me. So, so let's talk about that. Well, before we do, before we do that, Lauren, there's something. My experience with Easter was totally different than yours. My experience growing up in the church was. I look forward to Easter because that was the day that all the girls wore their prettiest dresses. <laughs> yeah, you anyhow, were... you anyhow you were saying. <laughs> Go no, I was just saying no, we, we definitely grew up in two different worlds because it's funny because the the Sunday school I even I even have often um, talked to my family about how the kids that were around they you know the girls that were around me they, they were like sisters because i grew up with them since kindergarten oh, so it's I'm like sorry. friends of mine I'm friends sorry. of <laughs> friends of mine would visit and they would be like they would be like oh so and so's cute and i'd be like really her you know cuz cuz i knew them since kindergarten so it was like it was like you like my sister ooh <laughs> so yeah i didn't i didn't get that joyful experience either jim so <laughs> So talking about though um, Easter, what is what is the point of Easter? I mean, we think we know, but do we know? So let me let me just throw that out to you guys. Well, I'm I'm going to kick it over to Michael in just a second. But to talk about Easter, we we really have to address the whole of um, what's called the Holy Week because the message begins really with. Um, you know what we call Palm Sunday, and and goes through each each uh, successive day, and of course builds right up to uh, what we call the Easter stories, the re- resurrection, and so on. So, um, Michael, why don't you kind of get us started here, and Lauren and I'll jump in from time to time then. <laughs> we were now I have to redeem Michael because before the podcast Jim was saying that basically Michael's basically the only one who shows up prepared and then me and Jim just kind of wait to see what he says and then go okay we're gonna jump in now okay now I know what to say <laughs> yeah. well the, the thing is the thing is is that that it's not about preparation for the I don't prepare for the podcasts this is literally 50 almost 50 years of theological and biblical research in my brain it's just all there i can't help it yeah and and i have to say this um 
and, and, and this was a friend of mine um, who, who is a friend of yours, Michael, and we were actually having conversations talking about geniuses, and I'm, I'm going to fluff your feathers here a bit, but but we were talking about people who we know who, who we would actually put in the category of genius, and you were actually one of the two people that I know of that put there. And one of the reasons is just that amazing ability you have to recall and hold on to such information in your brain without having to have books and books sitting in front of you when you're discussing this stuff. So um, keep up the good work, man. That's very kind. Thank you. So my experience, Roman Catholic, you know, Easter was, uh, you know, dress up Sunday uh, we got our Easter baskets. That was always, the, you know, and then we go to mass, but we couldn't touch our Easter candy before mass because we had to first take the body of Christ, you know. But we got our Easter baskets in the, you know, we in the morning, but we couldn't eat them. It was just like the worst <laughs> thing, you know. You just like we have to stay wrapped up, you know. But uh, yeah, and then I got when I became a born again Baptist, uh, you know, dispensationalist. Uh, the few the couple of years I was in that, Easter was primarily about apologetics. You know, we, the Jesus, it's a proven fact he rose from the grave physically and da 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 The Jesus movement time transformed Easter for me because it became a, a, a community celebration of joy. You know, that, that God loved Jesus enough to raise him from the dead and he'll do the same for us kind of thing, you know, and we can experience this resurrected kingdom life together now and you know all the jesus movement stuff we were doing uh and then then i went to seminary and became a pastor i used to love doing holy week i, I love doing holy week and i think that a couple of times i might have been pretty successful in recreating kind of, again this is 30 years 40 30 years ago but recreating at that time my nascent kind of approach to this since the turn of the millennium, basically, Easter for me, uh, or the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I should say, is for me a part of a three-part text. It's the resurrection of the crucified Christ, and it's the ascension of the resurrected Christ. So all three are pulled together, you know. <laughs> but I would also want to say this. What we miss in the resurrection narratives is that we we don't see the problem the resurrection narrative creates for us as Christians, and it creates a real problem. And I'm not talking on a philosophical level. I'm not talking on a, a historical level. Did it happen? Did it not? That, 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 that. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about it at the level of the power of the gospel, the resurrection gospel. There's a power in it, okay? But the modern Christian cannot access that power because the modern Christian, Protestant, I'm talking about American Protestant Christianity. That's all I'm ever talking about when I talk about Christian. The average Christian out there can't access the resurrection power because they fail to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is God's direct challenge to their theology. I am not like you think I am. And what I mean by that is this. When the risen Christ appears, the very first words surrounding his birth, peace on earth, 
is the word that's given by the resurrected Christ, shalom, peace. They were terrified because after all, they had betrayed Jesus. They had denied Jesus. They had said they didn't have anything to do with him. They were huddled in fear of the authorities. And when Jesus appears, they are surely expecting the kind of Messiah that they were expecting before he went to the cross. And that is, Lord, now is it the time to redeem Israel with the sword? They're waiting for him to come back and take his vengeance out on them first. But he doesn't. He brings this word, shalom. It's the eschatological word. The resurrection is an eschatological event. It's an end of human history, end of first creation event. And when Christ comes back into our space and time and announces this, the way it works out is peace. And he announces that to us as, as those who are now having to recognize there's no doctrine of divine retribution out there in eschatology. There's no eternal conscious torment concept out there when, when it comes to the gospel. That has to get deconstructed. That absolutely has to get deconstructed. You know, and second, once one realizes that this shalom has come about through the choice to remain pacific, peaceful, while being persecuted, while being crucified, and at the same time to be proactively forgiving. This is what peace is. And this is what he comes back to announce. Everything in the future is reconciled. Everything is at peace. There is no dark side out there. Unless we allow the risen Christ to challenge our Janus-faced God. Unless we allow the Father's heart to be revealed in Jesus as pure and holy, as only love. Until we allow that to happen, we have not experienced the risen Christ and the Easter story is just another rising, dying, and uh, dying and rising God myth. I'm so glad you shared all that, Michael, because that's exactly the thing that unraveled my my view and, and turned Easter beautiful for me. Because um, for me, it was just you know the end of a penal substitution story where it's like, um, oh, you thought he was defeated, aha, no, he's not, you know, and then he goes to heaven and kind of the end you now you ask him into your heart you know kind of thing yeah. and uh, it, but i love that the um the message of peace is woven through his entire life and then like you said it's it's the climax of the story is when he rises again and and that's the moment i mean shoot i just i just watched an action movie yesterday where you know the the, the hero was caught and this is it but of course you know he breaks free and beats the crap out of everybody and shoots everybody and everyone goes, yay, you know, and, and, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and that's Michael, you really hit the nail on the head when you say that that's what the disciples were expecting. That's, yeah. I mean, they, they, we just changed the mythology to fit Superman, Batman, you know, John Wick, you know, yeah. people like that, yeah. but we don't, but it, it was no different for them with Zeus, Thor, and all their Old Testament heroes, you know, uh, King David, people like that. And, and so this is, 
I, I mean, I can't imagine the devastation the disciples had to be feeling in the sense of we're sticking with him because we think he's the guy who's going to conquer the Romans. We're sticking with him because he's going to take on the Romans. And then he crucified, gets crucified. They all abandon him. And now he's back and they're thinking we're the first ones he's going to take out. I mean, well, when they, I, I think they're afraid of the authorities. They don't even think of him coming back from the dead. Right. They're not even their heads, not even there. Oh, they're absolutely not. Him, you know. They're just terrified now because of the authorities. And when, But when Jesus appears, they assume that he is thinking the same way the authorities are thinking. Because that's the authorities, how the authorities God thinks. Right. And, and I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking there, Michael, how many messages and, and a belief system that I had about peace, uh, that it was... Um, Let's take the scripture, peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. And and equate that with um, Jesus in the uh, in the boat, and he speaks to the storm, and he says, peace be still. And yeah. and equate that, and, and kind of the, the way I grew up thinking about peace, and probably heard it from the pulpit, is that peace is tranquility in the middle of the storms of life that you go through, you know, uh, you build your house on the rock and the storms of life come, but when it's all over, your house will be standing, you know, and you can be, be in the house at peace and having really nothing to do with um, what the Lord's talking about, about peace. Peace is uh, more than just... Uh, tranquility in, in the middle of storms of life or, you know, when when your neighbor gets mad at you that somehow down in your spirit you're going to still be at peace because God gives us peace in storms. And so as, as you're talking, and, and like Lauren, I've read uh, uh, your book, The Jesus Driven Life, and it's like, oh, we're talking on a whole different level here about peace, you know. So... Yeah, I really appreciate that, and maybe you want to pick up on that and, and uh, share just a little bit about what the difference of those two would be. Yes, yeah, so um, there's only two things that can create reconciliation, violence and love. Violence creates reconciliation, for example, and, uh, and this is a well-known example. Uh, when police are called out on domestic dispute calls, the couple that will often turn and unite against the police officer. They're reconciled. It's like it's like in Luke 23, you know, Pilate and Herod don't like each other. But they send Jesus back and forth, and Luke records in chapter 23, and from that day they were friends, you know. And the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So in the world, how does the world make peace? The world makes peace through power, strength, Force, violence, okay? That's how the world makes peace. You know, that's, that's how the Pax Romana came into being. This great military kept peace. The U.S. has helped, quote, keep the world at peace, uh, you know, in theory. <laughs> God, we're, we're, anyway, I don't even want to get into that. But, but this is how the world makes peace. Jesus makes peace by stopping the flow of violence. And he stops the flow of violence by just letting it literally pass through him. He's, he recognizes 
that those who do what they're doing to him are not in their right mind. Okay? They are possessed. Now, I don't mean in the medieval, charismatic, superstitious sense, but I also do mean the word possessed. We get possessed by this collective mob mentality, all of us, all the time. Watching a movie, I'm going to have that same reaction you did. Yay, the good guy won, you know, even if he had to kill all the bad people, right? I mean, so I understand all that. We're, it's there. It's, it's, our, it's the milieu that infects us. And, you know, just the way we even think about things and the thoughts that pop into our brains, right? So Jesus brings peace by recognizing the other, the other people don't mean what they're doing. If they, if they had clarity, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Jesus brings about reconciliation between enemies, between us and the Father. You know, the Father never considered us enemies. We turn the Father into an enemy when we put that other face on him, that Satan side, that yin-yang. We turn God into this duality, and, and then we Protestants justify it by saying, well, God's attributes are intention. God's attributes are about to snap like a rubber band, you know? Right. Yeah, and, and thanks for clarifying that, Michael, because, Jim, I'm, I'm like you. I grew up with the same view of peace, that, that peace was kind of like this inner feeling of like, ah, listen to the worship music. I feel so peaceful now. Peace on earth. You know, peace is in my heart now, rather than peace being an actual removal of violence and, uh, and, well, and retaliation. In, yeah, peace in that very pietistic sense, the search for inner peace, right? You can't have inner peace without having made peace with the fact that the world's going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Correct. Once you make peace with the fact the world's going to hurt you, and you're not going in ahead of time, you're going to be doing a lot of forgiving, just as you want to be forgiven. Um, it makes it easier, you know, but you have to have that mindset. As long as you're out there with rose-colored glasses, you're screwed. Yeah. I want to kind of lay out a, a, a equation that's kind of going through my mind right now and see if the, see if this is correct. When Jesus stepped into that room after after the resurrection, there um, the disciples, except possibly Thomas, were were together in a room. The door was locked. Jesus appears and says, "Peace, peace unto you." What he's saying, the equation that I'm getting is. Those of you that ran away, those of you that cussed, cursed my name, said I didn't know you, all of you people, I'm at peace with you. The Father's at peace with you. I'm inviting you to step into being at peace with us. Peace be unto you. Is that is that similar to in your thinking, Michael? Is that yeah, similar I, I to? Yeah, I think you can say that exactly, Jim. I think yeah. you could, that's that that's language I would be comfortable with. So if that's true about um, a group of people, deniers of God, people that have judged God in certain ways, if that's true about those original 11 or how many ever behind a locked door, that also becomes true about me or anyone else behind my locked door of violence, which is usually prompted by fear that the that God is saying to me hey 
I'm at peace with you. Yes. Be at peace with me. Yes. I think that's a beautiful, and and if that's the Easter message, that's a message of hope. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's a message that gives the whole world hope. Yes. <laughs> I'm at peace. Yeah. Be at peace. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I, I like how you said that we need to go into this accepting that the world is going to hurt us. Um, not with the rose colored glasses on. And and I work. think it really makes all the messages that Jesus gave about counting the cost and the way being narrow making sense. Because that's one of the things I notice when you start sharing this message of peace and turning the other cheek and, and blessing your enemies. Um, the first thing that comes up is is all the that I hear in the conversations is people start bringing up all the scenarios where you need to retaliate. And it's like, well, you're kind of missing the point that that Jesus was saying. That's the part, the counting the cost part, right there. Mm-hmm. Is it? it you It's gonna hurt. <laughs> it's it's gonna be painful. It's it's you're you're you really are on a road less traveled. Because I mean, everything in me says retaliate. Like like we said, we rejoice with those movies we watch. Because everything in me is programmed to go that direction. That's exactly right. Programmed. Religiously, mm-hmm. culturally programmed. We mm-hmm. we have a social DNA. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so that that's the whole thing is Jesus comes and gives us someone else to imitate so that we aren't following that pattern anymore. We can break free from it, that's right. It's interesting that you say religiously and socially programmed because... Uh, it isn't just society around us that programmed it. It's actually our religion itself that we call Christianity that programs us to... Here here we have a scripture that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And yet we're programmed to believe that we are the ones that get to repay. Or, or we believe that that's what the Father actually does. Exactly. Yeah, and the ultimate, of course, is uh, the H-E double hockey sticks. The what? H-E double hockey sticks. You know, oh. because we're Christians, we don't cuss. I can't say hell. Hell is not a tough word. Hell is the English translation of the German word hula, which is not a term that appears in Scripture. <laughs> Apparently, but it's we won't get on... But that's not our message today, so let's not go there. (laughs) Well, Scripture has a very confused view of the afterlife. I I mean, when you just look at the whole thing in general. But it's very clear on one thing. God will be all in all. And if love, if God is love, that means love conquers all. Love wins. Yeah, love love conquers. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because just this week... um, I was having a conversation where, uh, well, first I was listening to another podcast and Brad Jerzak was on there and he was talking about um, uh, the churches in Revelation, you know, the the whore of Babylon and the uh, and the bride of Christ. And he made the statement going, it's the same church, you know, that it, it it's the transformation of Christ from one to the other. And, and I thought that was so astonishing that I shared that on Facebook. And it's funny because we talked about the retaliation thing. I had someone respond very upset. You know, that it says, it says in her was found the blood of the martyrs and, you know, it goes on all the a tirade about all the evil things they've done. And, uh, and I go, yeah, isn't, isn't the gospel amazing? 
isn't because the whole thing was that he had built his theology around this vengeful God who's going to get everybody in the end. And the fact that no, instead he comes in peace and transforms, that was very disturbing to him. And it was funny because he said his exact words were, that's insane. And I, and, and I went to, and I immediately went through my head what Paul said about the foolishness of God being wiser mm-hmm. than men. And I responded back because he's right. I said, yeah, it's absolutely foolish. Absolutely foolish. Yeah. You know, and, and, but that's how our father is completely different than the way that we are. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, the Bible says, that, uh, you know, this gospel is foolishness to those that are, are perishing. And uh, it again, that's not talking uh, necessarily uh, talking about eternal damnation or anything like that. But when we live our life based on fear, retaliation, uh, anger, all of those things, we're perishing. I mean, Damn. we we, yes. we absolutely are in a thick soup trying to walk through it. You know. Uh, minefielder or uh, quicksand or something and we're you know called life and and what you're saying Michael and and uh, Lauren you picked up on that that when we come into agreement with even the words of Christ in this world you will have tribulation this is not going to be the world is not a peaceful world let's put it mm-hmm. that way and if we enter into the the strife the angst the all of that of the world's system and try and bring that into our christianity or whatever we're not going to be at peace either we've got to literally in the world but not of it we cannot be of that mindset we 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 have to accept the mindset of the kingdom of god which is you know, the wisdom that's from above is first peaceable. Yes. It is non, about it's peace. sacrificial Yes. And yes. it's non-transactional, which means yes. it's only grace. It's only grace. Whereas yeah. our systems are both transactional and um, whatever the other thing. It's sacrificial. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's funny. Exactly. Because, Jim, right in line with what you were saying, you know, the TV station where I work, we, we air Judge Judy. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things that's crazy, you know, it's to, to bring this down to really down to our level on what we're talking about, about peace. I'll watch these lawsuits, and it reminds me so much of Paul's letters. Because I'll, I'll watch these lawsuits between people, and it's like they're suing over like maybe like $500 or $900. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they're suing their neighbor, their literal next door neighbor. Not even just, you know, mm-hmm. biblically speaking neighbor, but, you know, their literal neighbor. And and I'm sitting there going, why don't you just let it go? You know, this is your neighbor. If, if it's going to start this whole thing where you're going to have to go to court and it's going to get nasty and ugly over, I don't know, that your dog crawled under the fence and pooped in their backyard, you know? <laughs> it's like, I mean, it literally is things like that. This person um, took my... CD, you know, or, or uh, borrowed my car and got a dent in it. It's, it's like, just pay for it and keep the relationship alive. And, and to me, that's when we're talking about peace. That's the cost of peace, to put it home. It's, it, you know, because we immediately, it's so easy to think of things like the civil rights movements and big things. But in our daily life, it's when that neighbor burns us. 
you know, or takes advantage of us or, or does something where we, like Michael, you said, our, our, our view is to equal the scales, you know, to, to demand that repayment. And so I want, you know, so I'm going to drag you to court to make sure I get every dime back that you owe me. And, right. and it's so the opposite of the kingdom of God. And that's why my mind always, when I watch those shows, it goes right to when Paul says, why not be defrauded? You know, when they were dragging each other off to court right. and stuff. And, right. and it's, it, it's not even just to do with court. It's just even in our daily relationships, you know, oh, that person said something that hurt me. So I'm going to strike back, you know, that knee-jerk reaction. It's like, why not just let the comments sit there? Why, why do you have to lash out with your tongue? Why not let the peace just, just be there instead of having to, to retaliate against the person? Now, now, that's a higher order to live in because that is walking in the footsteps of Christ and paying that price. And, and I'm not there 100%. I'm trying to live that way. But, but there are still moments where I realize that programming is so there that yeah. it's like, oh, man, I can get that crushing blow in. Real, I'm good with sarcasm. So I can, I can, it's my second language, you know, so I can get it in there really quick. And, and sometimes I'll just be a knee jerk reaction right back at the person and I'll look and I'll be like, one, I just can tell I crushed that person. And two, it'll be like, I really wish I didn't say that. (laughs) And, and, but that's to me, that's when we're talking about this cost and, and walking the path of Jesus to me, that's where it really comes home. Is uh, it, it is on a large scale, but it starts with the small daily things that we encounter. I'm thinking about a scripture that says, If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. And a lot of times, what we do, especially in evangelical circles, is we always push scriptures off to the nth degree. It's like, Well, that's talking about. The resurrection from the dead in 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 you know somewhere in the future somewhere and and I think about on a, on another whole scale the level that you're talking about Lauren it takes transformation to come to that place you know we can fight wars with our tongue we don't have to go to court take our neighbor to court all we have to do is start talking around the neighborhood about that jerk that lives next door that stole my cd you know and you know and it's like we're turning people against each other and whatever and and i start thinking in terms of no if the holy spirit if the resurrected christ lives in me he not only brings peace to me he makes me a peacemaker amen exactly so i i I not only live at peace but i bring peace to situations that I'm involved with, and I do that uh, actually through the use of my tongue. I can start fires, I can start wars, I can turn enemy, make friends into enemies, or I can bring reconciliation. And 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 my mortal body, my my humanism, is converted by the spirit that raised Christ from the dead because he's dwelling in me. And so I'm allowing the peacemaker to turn me in, to transform me into a peacemaker. And and to me, that's the born-again. The born-again experience is not about saying a prayer 50 years ago, and now I'm born again, and I'm in the club. 
I made, I made my again, transaction with divinity. Well, the born again experience to me is a daily experience. Yes. I'm constantly from glory to glory being transformed into his image. Conformed, whatever. Exactly. And, and Jim, I, I love how you pointed out that. I am too. And I want you to notice Jim and I both sport goats. So, Lauren. <laughs> He's talking about they both have goatees, and if you look at my picture on the on, on the app here, I used to have one, <laughs> but I shaved it off. I guess I lost some of my intelligence when it went. <laughs> Jim, what you were saying about being peacemakers, and, and first of all, it's like I like how you hit on that. It starts that brings us back to the Easter story. It starts when we realize that God is at peace with us, because that's where the transformation begins. Is is it's not like. I just go out and muscle and go, okay, now I'm going to be a peacemaker. There's something about when my, this is where that inner peace does come in, where when I realized the father is at peace with me, I'm telling you that radically did transform my life. Because when all of a sudden all that thing of I have to keep pleasing God, pleasing God, which I lived a huge chunk of my life that way, trying to get the rules right, trying to get everything right so God would be happy with me and always scared that I upset him and then having to carry guilt for so many days because I thought I did and all I uh, hated. Uh, it's a torture. It's a torture chamber to live that way. And uh, but to be free of that, and know the father's at peace with me. That's where it starts because now it becomes much, much easier to be at peace with your neighbor. Plus, he becomes your pattern now because he's at peace with me. So now I'm going to extend that peace to to other people. And the other thing is that I'm seeing is just how many opportunities every day we have to be a peacemaker. Like you said, Jim, just just with our yeah. tongue all the time. I mean, whether it be with a coworker at the job, you know, there's that moment where the gossip's going around the workplace or, or there's a situation at work where tensions between two coworkers and, and, you know, you have the choice in that moment. Am I going to fan the flame? Or I'm going to become a peacemaker here in your, in our relationships with people in our families. Um, <laughs> there was one time I remember Lily and I were in this discussion. I talked about my, my quick sarcastic tongue. Lily and I were in a heated discussion and Michaela was in the room and Lily said something and I was like, Oh, I, Oh, it was one of those perfect moments for that perfect burn. And I I just jumped at it. I boom. And Michaela, her head drops down and she goes, Oh, Dad. <laughs> Needless to say, it was not a happy day for me the rest of the day. Else, what you did. Exactly. And and that's the exact the exact uh, point of uh, using the, the a negative example of of we have those moments where it's like we can choose to be the peacemaker or not. And uh, and I'm discovering in this new manager job that that's a huge chunk of all my job is is every day being a peacemaker between between employees, between different departments. I I didn't realize how much this job was going to be Jesus centered. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm realizing it's like, not only is it using my TV training and my, my teacher training, it's totally, absolutely using my walk with Jesus training all the time of, of um, things like somebody makes a mistake. It's, it's gone. It's forgiven the next day. It's off the table. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's as far as the east is from the west. I'm not going to hold it against them. Um, making sure that departments, you know, stay um, stay friendly with each other. You know, mm -hmm. 
Um, making sure that um, that when somebody does something wrong, that they're not scapegoated, and that that they're not um, that it's handled appropriately, that the proper apologies are made, and things like that. But that things, but that also that people who make those mistakes aren't thrown under the bus. You know, mm-hmm. so so it's really um, it, it, I'm seeing just how much this always impacts our daily life. And to me, this just brings us right back to Easter. Easter is supposed to be something that changes our lives. That, right. that really is love, but uh, but it has to shock us first. It has to, it has to create complete disbelief. That's what Easter does. It does, Easter's not about creating faith. It's about creating disbelief. What's the disbelief in this God? I thought this was what God was like, and God is not like that. I I don't disagree with you, but I want to pick up on what you said. It's not about creating faith. I think it is about creating faith because faith counters disbelief. It's not about creating evangelical faith. It's about creating a much deeper level of faith that I'm going to believe God on the way God lays his you know, his own argument out. I'm going to believe that. And it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe, uh, you know, Lauren said something about pleasing God, and immediately the scripture, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If I don't believe God is at peace with me, I can work all my life from a place of fear and I'll never please. I'll never be pleasing to God because I'll never be at peace with myself and with God. I'll never believe that God is at peace with me. And to me, that's what faith is. It's 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 not this um, evangelical mixture of well, yes. Um, uh, what is the thing that uh, people do? God is good, and everybody yells all the time. And then somebody says, "And all the time," and everybody yells, "God is good," right. e- except that I think that God will retaliate, and God will do this, and God will do that. But somehow yeah. that's good. That's not faith. No. But it does take faith for uh, uh, me, a person that, like you said, was socially and religiously programmed to think about life in a certain way, it takes faith to move off of that paradigm into the paradigm of kingdom thinking, into the paradigm of believing uh, what we're talking about. Yes, and and the problem is, is that evangelical Christianity has tied up the category of faith with the um, mythological category of the Janus-faced God. Yes, yes. And and, and and so I agree with you on that level. It doesn't take that faith. It takes a different kind of faith. It yeah. takes trust. Try. Okay, that's trust. a good word. Yeah. So well, I guess what, I'm, what my argument would be is that like all, all the experiences of the risen Christ in the Gospels, all of them are encounters with a stranger. Magdalene thinks he's um, a gardener. The disciples think he's a ghost. The guys on the road to Emmaus don't recognize him. Paul doesn't recognize him on the road to Damascus. Resurrection, and when you encounter the resurrected Christ, you are encountering a stranger. Wow. That's good. That's good. One that's unfamiliar to you. You can't manipulate him. So that's the first thing. we We have to go through the strangeness of that. Yeah, I, I've heard you share that before, Michael, and I have to admit that always in a positive way disturbs me 
because we like to think, you know, I've got this down. I've got Jesus down. I've got this um, this this gospel thing figured out. And then realizing that that when they saw Jesus, he resurrected. None of them recognized him. To realize that that's me. That's me not recognizing him as well. That that kind of blows up my whole uh, any spiritual arrogance that I have about you know having this thing down, got, having Jesus in a box, having him all figured out and, and stuff, it, it, it leaves me in a place of like, of humility of having to go, I don't know him like I think I do. Because he very well could show up to me and does show up to me. Because <laughs> I can speak of moments in the past where, where I got in arguments with people over things that very much were him. But it took me a couple years to realize it. Um, that then I thought they're out there, you know, they're missing the boat. And then sure enough, a few years later, after transformation comes into my life, it's like they were dead on, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that that he often appears that way because yeah. you know we're just so often not ready to to see or hear or or he, he moves so contrary to to just like we said our programming. You mentioned the two men on the road to Emmaus and. I always found that story uh, fascinating, that it, it took the breaking of bread before they recognized him. But I, but one day I was reading the story in the in uh, Mark's account, and in um, verse twelve, there's a there's a, a scripture there, verse twelve, that I've spent a lot of time over the years, kind of meditating, and it just simply says this: afterwards. Jesus appeared in a different form to the two of them. And I've interpreted that in, in so many different ways because I always thought, how is it possible to hang out with somebody for th three years and three days later not be able to recognize them? Mm -hmm. That verse kind of, it, it kind of put something together for me mm -hmm. that you know, he appeared to them, and and I think that's I'm gonna I'm gonna go off of that verse to what we've been talking about. I think Jesus, I think God, appears to us in a different form. He doesn't appear to us in the religious form that we expect him to appear to us. Yep. Um, you know, ready to you know the lightning bolt because sure. you know I I tripped up you know. And, you know, or whatever. He appears to me in a whole different form. And every time Jesus comes to us, he comes to us in a different form than our preconception of who he is. Absolutely. Let me just say, isn't it a delight to be able to come to these beautiful, beautiful, holy, ancient texts uh, with such freedom and allow them to speak? Yeah. But it takes... A shift in our paradigm. Absolutely. We have to shift our paradigm from our preconceived notions. From our sacrificial notions of who God yes. is. Yes. Well, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, uh, one of the things that jumps out to me when you talk about him coming in a different way, I've, I found that um, in my life, he he often came to me in camps, if you will, from groups. The, his voice would be heard from a group of people that was not my group. 
you know, um, mm. there, there were times when, you know, growing up a, a Baptist gym, when I came to your congregation, you know, a, a charismatic yeah. church, I, that was foreign to me. And yet I heard Jesus there. And then, and then I've heard Jesus since then in, um, uh, from Catholic friends. I've heard Jesus' voice with Eastern Orthodox friends. I've heard, I, I've heard it, and not just to keep in religious circles, I've, but, but it's like it, when we don't have the eyes to just be looking for him, we don't, that, that's where we, we miss him because, like you said, he'll come in, a, if you will, a different form. It, it's, not, it's not the way that we're used to. He, this is, he's going to speak through my pastor at this church, you know, at this time. And, and uh, so sometimes it's like the Father is speaking to us constantly. We talk about it in the scriptures, but we read it through the wrong lens. So that's a, a different form, Michael. Like you said, when you remove the sacrificial reading from the scripture, the Spirit is speaking to us, but he's speaking in a different form, if you will, a different way than we've always, a different hermeneutic than we've always read it. Yes, the faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the message of the Father. Not the, the hearing comes by the Word of God. Okay, it doesn't mean the Bible. It's the message of the Father. Hearing comes by hearing this message. That creates faith. That creates trust. And that, that trust, then, is hugely hopeful. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's the message. It's the actual message that creates the change. Yes. And, and we, we live and die by that. Yeah. I mean, I mean it really is our life um, yeah. in the sense of that um, when, when you know what the Father is speaking to you, it really is the rock that you can stand on. Yes. I've come to the place in my life where I look for that with eager anticipation. When I'm encountering very situations, my thing is even because not just like you said, it's not even just going to the Bible. It's Father, what are you saying to me in this? Well, what do your, I need to know? What am I to learn? What, what am exactly. I, I'm always asking, what are you teaching me? What is the lesson here? I need to know the right. lesson. Right. I don't want you know. If I know the lesson, then I can work on it and practice it and get better at it. But I don't like guessing. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times, also for me, it'll be what What does my stance need to be? Is this a situation of back down? Is this a situation of push forward? Is this a situation of rest? You know, what What is my stance? Because I don't want to be doing the opposite of what you're doing. Right. I've I've come to really. I don't know how people can live with a dead God. <laughs> I don't know. A dead God is really quite boring. He never right. does prayers. He sits upstairs, sucks his thumb, watches TV. Oh, oh, people, I got. let me go do a few miracles. Bum, 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 boom. Okay, now I can leave him alone for a thousand years. I'm going to jump in on, on, on this for a second. I remember, obviously, many years ago, my father was sharing one Long Sunday in <laughs> Well that that too. I am your father. Anyhow. <laughs> Anyhow, he was sharing how that um, and I'm gonna use our your typical evangelical language. He was sharing how he got saved in a particular denomination that believed that uh you know the uh little ritz cracker and the and the shot glass of of grape juice were just symbolic of something 
We're not really sure what. Probably the death, burial, and resurrection or whatever. Um, and we called it communion. And um, so we did this every uh, Sunday or every third Sunday of the month. Uh, after we, uh, you know, examine all the sins that we've done and repent of them so that we could eat and drink in a worthy manner, you know, because we don't want to eat, you know, sickness to ourselves, and, you know, all that. And he's sharing that, and he says, and then one day, he said, I actually read the account of when Jesus was in the upper room at what, what's called the Last Supper, and he gave out the bread and the wine to his disciples and he didn't say this is a symbol uh he said this is my body and he said when i read that i was like well maybe we have it wrong maybe <laughs> and he said and i and i began to look into what now to me is becoming the Eucharist. It is becoming the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus. And he said, it's still a mystery to me, but he said, I can no longer go back to, oh, well, you don't have um, you know, unleavened bread? Well, just use a Ritz cracker. Oh, you don't have a Ritz cracker? Well, just use one of those little fishy things. It doesn't matter because it's only a symbol to know this is something quite precious. This is, this is the body and blood of our Lord. And then he said something. He said, maybe my Catholic brethren have it more right than we ever did. And, and I think the point is that there is elements of truth, what you're saying, Lauren, there are elements of truth that each one of us hold, and if we don't learn how, as the body of Christ, to sit down and listen to each other and share and back and forth and exchange, we're never going to come to truth the holy spirit who lives in all of us is going to bring us into truth but if i stay in my paradigm no it's only a symbol no grape juice no wine because you might stumble an alcoholic or whatever the reason we did that you know and it's got to be welch's grape juice because that's pure you know, it doesn't have any apple juice mixed with it you know and all this insanity that we went through Instead, what is the mystery of, you know, and I know, Michael, you teach a lot on, on the Eucharist, but what's the mystery of this is my body? And, you know, this is the new covenant in my blood. And, and I, I think that's all part of that Easter story that we're talking about. So you mentioned at the beginning that Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. It's the mob. begins with the mob, the crowd. Yes. The crowd who in four days will turn against Jesus. Okay? Now, he's typical of a scapegoat in that he's a figure that is brought low, brought down, like Job. Okay? Um, false accusations are, are, are made of him, and so on and so forth. So the Eucharist, for me, 
uh, has to be brought into conversation with this larger what's happening in the passion narrative thing, right? Yes. And one of the things I notice is that um, we're dealing here with some of the most ancient uh, rituals that we could engage in as human beings. We are consuming the flesh and drinking the blood of the victim. Uh, you know, I mean, this is humanity has been cannibalistic even up until just a thousand years ago, you know, uh, with the Aztecs being the last, I think, great, great cannibalistic civilization. Uh, if you look at the timeline of human history of, you know, a million years, it's only been in the last thousand years that we've, we've stopped eating each other. But Jesus brings us straight into the heart of our mythology. He brings this ritual that's ancient, that goes deep into our in, into the into the marrow of what it means to be a human being, and he cooks that ritual, so that when when we murder him, when when we recognize that's what we're doing, when we get together around the Eucharist, we're about to sacrifice Jesus. Yeah. We're about to say you're going to be the one that's going to be the sin bearer, and we kill him. Now that's the first part. We have to recognize this is this is our sin. This is our burden. Okay. We are persecutors, and, and when we do that, and we eat that body, we become a little more nonviolent each time, because he's nonviolent. We're taken in his essence. And we can do that because the cup that comes to us is not the blood of Abel. Yes. Hebrews says Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If, if Jesus wanted, he could have brought that cup of wrath. This is the cup of my wrath. And when you kill me, I'm going to get angry and come at you. No, that's not how it works. He's undoing the whole great big structure of this mythology that is our worldview. And so this blood is now the new covenant, and it's about forgiveness of sin. I forgive you, you know. So that's the Eucharist for me, in a nutshell. Yeah, I hate that we're at time because um, that that topic on the Eucharist is so massive and so life-giving. And it, it literally was life-changing for me. Um, yeah. learning because Jim, my, my journey went much like your dad's from, uh, from it being communion and a symbol and, and to, to along to what Michael's talking about. And it, it literally, it was life changing. Um, and so, um, I, I know we want to, at some point, we definitely want to cover this topic, um, and more in depth, but, but that's the time we have today. Um, so uh, once again, thanks you guys. Great discussion. Cause man, we could just keep going. Just a quick tag, Lauren. I think our conversation about Easter, about the resurrection, about the message of gospel of peace had to end with the Eucharist. Yes. Yeah. Just like I think Luke it's a perfect. I th it's a perfect tie-in. So it it really is. It good really conversation. Is. Yeah. So um, okay. Well, everybody. Um, well, first of all, um, Michael, where can people find your stuff? Your uh, books in, in my house. Okay, on Amazon. All right, good. And uh, uh, Jim, where can people find your book? On Amazon. Yeah. All right. We're Amazon people here. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, want to wish everybody out there a happy Easter, and we will talk to you all again next week. 